You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to Sprott Money News at SprottMoney.com. It's Friday, January the 8th, and it's time for your first Weekly Wrap-Up of the year 2021. I'm your host, Craig Hemke. Sitting in for Eric Sprott today is his old friend, Bob Thompson. Bob, of course, is a portfolio manager and senior vice president at Raymond James in Vancouver. Like I said, he's an old friend of Eric's, and he's glad to help out as Eric is still sidelined, uh, helping his family through some health issues. My friend, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Craig. Great to be on again. It has been uh, a very interesting start to the week, no doubt about that. But again, it's, it's going to be a long year, and all sorts of volatility is going to be ahead of us. Uh, I've made several references to my subscribers lately about uh, bull markets are basically the analogous to riding a bull in a rodeo. you got to stay on all the way to the bell, and otherwise you don't win. And that bull's going to try to buck you off every chance it gets, and that's kind of what we're seeing here in the latter stages this week. Every price drop, though, does, however, give you a chance to accumulate more physical metal. SprottMoney.com is your place to do it. Great deals on uh, silver bullion, gold bullion, and a place to store it as well. So, of course, visit us at SprottMoney.com or give us a call at 888-861- 0775. Uh, Bob, I'm sure you've got some ideas on uh, the precious metals here in 2021, uh, regardless of what has happened this week with the surge Monday and Tuesday and then the elevator shaft Wednesday and again today. How are you feeling as we start 2021? Yeah, should I say Happy New Year? I guess so, I guess, right? yeah. <laughs> well, gold's down over $50 as we're talking here this morning. And, you know, there's a, there's a few reasons for that. But what you said about, you know, accumulating when prices are lower is exactly right. It, it never feels good. Buying right never feels good, but it's, it's the right thing to do. And, I, you know, I, I once heard Warren Buffett say, he said, if you're accumulating something, why would you ever want it to go up? He said, you'd only want it to go down until you're finished accumulating. Once you're finished accumulating and you've bought it all at low prices, then you want it to go up. So there you go. We want to buy things when they're, when they're down, obviously, uh, if we're still accumulating. So the, the, the metals, you know, gold, I think we've, as we've got this vaccine, um, the perception in the marketplace is that gold is not the only metal in the house anymore, right? We're starting to see uh, copper, you know, gold is a financial uh, asset, obviously different than, than the other metals, but it gets lumped in from time to time. So we've seen, we've seen runs in copper. We've seen runs in some of the other base metals based upon the, the growth here. You know, Bitcoin's gone up a lot. So the, the, the market is a big competition. And, uh, um, you know, at, at, at particular times, um, one metal will win out over, over, over the other metal. The, the big thing with, with, with gold here, and you know why I think we're getting some pretty big volatility here, is people are looking at that um, 10-year rate, right? It's, uh, it's up over, over one. It kind of blew through one, and it's 108, you know, 110. And, and by the way, if you look at the charts on that, it's, it's way uh, kind of um, uh, over, oversold as far as, uh, as, as, far as the, the yield is concerned. So uh, we're probably due for a bit of a bit of a pullback there. We've had the U.S. dollar, you know, take it on the chin. That's in an oversold position, so that might bounce in the short run. But the trend is down on that, obviously, for a long time. So I, I think the, the gold's having to work through this right now. That that uh, those those ten-year yields have uh, popped up in price. Obviously, the real yields haven't haven't changed that much. But the market is looking at oh boy, you know, if the ten years gone through one oh. 
108 here, you know, maybe it's going to going to push all the way up. And you know, I, I think that's that's a really interesting point because we talk about central banks a lot, and uh, you know how they how they suppress um, the gold price or how they suppress. Uh, um, other areas of the market, but interestingly enough, here they can't let ten-year yields run that high. You know, if ten-year yields run to one and a half or 1.8 or 1.9 or whatever the case is, that's going to absolutely destroy the housing market. It's going to destroy the economy because of all the debt that's out there. So they just can't let that happen. So interesting enough, from a gold perspective, we might be dependent upon the central bank coming in and quashing that uh, 10-year yield uh, back down to, uh, to, to more reasonable uh, levels to support all the debt in the world. Yeah, I think that's the next thing we'll be watching here in January, Bob, is uh, the next FOMC meeting is going to be coming up in two weeks, two weeks from next Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, there was a note within the minutes from the December meeting that they're starting to think about extending the maturities of, that they're buying in their QE program. Uh, you know, they can talk about, you know, a lot of cons- people talking this week about, oh, you know, they might cut the QE program by the end of this year. Or next. I, the absolute volume doesn't, I'm not sure it's as important if they go from $120 billion a month to 100 or to 80 as much as what they're buying. And if they shift and start mm-hmm. buying seven-year notes and 10-year notes, you know, and start looking out even further, That'll be the first move toward yield curve control. Is that something you'll have your eye on? Correct. For, forward guidance is a big one. That's that's something you know, and they've kind of hinted around at that, but uh, I haven't employed it 100 percent yet. But uh, that's one of their tools. The yield curve control is another tool, and they're going they're going to have to do it because the yeah. just the amount of debt in the world they just can't let the, the market actually function in normal in a normal fashion and have uh, and and have rates go up because uh, because if they do it, it it implodes everything. So. You know, I, I, I've mentioned this before, um, but I'll mention it again. That the last time the debt was this high to GDP was the end of World War II, and we had a few years of negative 10% real rates. Yep. It got up to negative 10 real rates um, uh, after that. But interestingly enough, they were able to come out of it because we had growth. We had a tremendous amount of growth after the war. We don't have that growth now. Where's the growth going to come from? The demographics aren't there. Uh, the economy just can't pick up without without increasing the debt a lot. So that's the situation. They got themselves out of it at the time, but this time it's it's really tough to get out of it without that growth that's, uh, that's, that's there. So that's why I think that's supportive long-term of the gold price, no problem. You know, and Bob, getting back to the idea of central banks <laughs> helping, well, we'll see. I, I, but I think that too, uh, you know, whatever they do to uh, cap nominal yields and drive real yields lower, will benefit us. You know, additionally, too, you know, Powell has spent a lot of time lately talking about not only inflation, but disinflationary expectations, how they need to fight that. Remember Jackson Hole? It was, well, you know, Japan's been on this cycle for 20 years. Uh, Disinflation leads to more expectations of disinflation, and the thing just keeps cycles lower. I mean, do you kind of sense uh, that the central banks actually wouldn't mind a higher gold price? in 2021 simply because of what that might imply for inflation. That, that, that's right. I mean, minds change over time, right? And I, I like to bring up the example of Paul Volcker, who, who said after, you know, in the early 1980s, he said, uh, he said one of the problems was we didn't control the gold price enough. So right there, you know, you could see it was, it was important to them because he said when the gold price went up, it, it uh, you know, told people that they were losing confidence in the system. So, yes, it's first and foremost, foremost on their minds. But I think I think more importantly for them right now, without paying attention to the gold price, they're looking at these real yields and they're saying we gotta get these we gotta inflate away this debt. 
and uh, whatever the consequences of that are, are are fine, but we've got to inflate away this debt, and, and we're going to have to print a lot more money than they thought they were going to have to print because they're not going to get the growth out of it. So, um, you know, I, I think that's I think that's the case right there, and the central banks maybe will put gold kind of push it back a little bit and say we got you know more important things to to deal with right now, and that is keeping interest rates really low to keep this uh, party going. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's going to be a long year. And uh, <laughs> like I said, that bull's going to try to buck you off on a regular basis. So you want to keep your eyes on the big picture. Bob, one of the big picture questions that I wanted to ask you, because it's all part of what you do on a daily basis, is the, I guess I'll call it the relative valuations of the mining shares and uh, versus other sectors. Right now, no one seems to care. They just want to own Tesla, you know, and Netflix and Amazon and, and, uh, and stocks like that. But at some point, you would think those valuations will become important from a value perspective. Uh, what are your thoughts about the sector as the year begins? Yeah, you know, and I, I keep going back to, to this feels a lot like 1999. You know, history doesn't repeat itself exactly, but it rhymes. And there's a lot of things that uh, are, are happening like happened at that time. The number of IPOs in the NASDAQ that have negative um, cash flows that are multi-billion dollar IPOs or, or, you know, price to sales are up at 70 or 80 or 100 or Elon Musk becoming the richest man in the world um, in the last couple of three days because of his ownership in, in Tesla. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things to take people's eye off the ball of, of from which sectors are really outperforming and which ones are really doing well. And, you know, if you just run quant screens, the, the gold sector has got fantastic cash flows. They're increasing their dividends and they're trading at low valuations. And you know that the low valuations is important to um, to, to kind of discuss that because the reason that any sector, including the gold sector, um, is uh, the, you know the valuations could be very low is is one of two reasons. One, because it's overlooked by the market, and you know, I think that's definitely the case right now in the gold sector with what's happening in all the other areas of the market. The other, the other reason that it's overlooked is if the market expects the gold price to drop 25%, right? Let's just say that, let's just say the market expected that. Then they would look at the cash flow and valuation and say, actually, they're, they're okay at these levels, right? So those are the, those are the two reasons that, uh, um, you know, the gold stocks would trade below their, their, um, their you know, proper valuations. Um, I think number one, obviously, is, is, is the case, and that is just, just an overlooked sector right now. You know, everybody's following the index. Uh, I read the other day, right, there's only one gold stock in the S&P 500 index, and that's right. Newmont. Only yeah. one, one gold stock. So if you're going to go buy the index, you're not buying gold stocks. And that's what everybody's doing right now is buying the index. So, you know, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of variables there, but as we evolve in the cycle, you know, two things happen. The valuations increase dramatically because people get um, convinced that gold is going to move a lot higher. Um, so, value, so they're willing to pay more for that. Um, but the other thing that happens is, is silver has a big run, right? So we saw that in 2011. And as we evolve in the cycle, you'll see that gold to silver ratio will, uh, will compress and silver starts to outperform, you know, especially because it's in, of its industrial metal component. Um, so we haven't seen we've seen that a little bit with silver, but uh, I, I think as the as the um, sector evolves here, we'll see increasing valuations, and we'll also see silver start to run compared to gold. Hey Bob, that gives me a question of some that were sent in this week. Again, a lot of folks continue to send questions for Eric, and again, uh, unfortunately, Eric is still going to be on the sidelines 
uh, for a little while to come. But we we appreciate you sending the questions, though. I don't want to discourage people from doing that. But we can't really get into the individual stocks. The compliance department won't let us do that, <laughs> Raymond James. But in, term, in general Absolutely. terms, you mentioned silver. And somebody wrote in this week and said, uh, just a simple question was, how about AGQ as a leveraged silver play? And, of course, that is an ETF made up of silver futures. I think it's a two times ETF. I think in general, let's just kind of change that question is to something like, when is a good time uh, to use leverage? You know, what are signals that you might use and go, okay, now's the time to kind of push the pedal down a little bit. That's a fantastic question. I won't comment on that one in particular because it's an individual security. But like you said, um, when, when do you use leverage? Well, it is tough. It is gut-wrenching. But it is the, the right time to use leverage is when something is in capitulation. So I've used um, um, leverage before in different uh, different investments. And what I do is I look at um, – I have a capitulation model that I follow, which tells you when something is in capitulation. It's, it's volume. It's, it's, it's obviously the price. It's the, the technicals. It's the relative strength. It's the moving average convergence divergence. It's all these technical indicators. When you can see them all line up, that this is a point of capitulation. In other words, the point in which the market is throwing up whatever the asset is and people just can't take it anymore, that's, when, that's the point in which you can, you can add some leverage. And it feels the worst. It yeah. never feels good right. to buy at the right time. Right. If it That's feels right. good, you know, and I actually do that myself. I'm a human being. I understand. I understand the greed and fear. But when I feel really good about something, and I, I figure, oh yeah, I can throw some money at this. I feel really good. I actually stop myself and go, no, no. If I feel really good about it, it's probably not a good time right. to be buying. Right. I want my gut to be wrenching um, before I buy something too. And you know, that goes back to you know what I mentioned. A few weeks ago about, you know, Eric saying I sit in the corner and have a party by myself when everybody else is partying in the other room. And that's when I accumulate my shares of, uh, of, uh, of the sector. Certainly feel like we're sitting by ourselves today, Bob, no doubt about it. But that is <laughs> that is actually a TF Metals report. That's one of the adages, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've developed over the over the last 10 years. That is you always got to be prepared to sell some when things look the rosiest. If you're a trader, that is. And you always got to be right. able to buy some when things look the worst. And um, you kind of echo that sentiment there. And that's a really there. good point. Great point that you bring up there, Craig, because if you're a trader, like you said, now if you're a long-term investor like we all are in the gold sector, well, that's, that's great. So what, what you do is you don't sell. You don't trim your position when things up. You just add to it. When, when, on days like this, when things are bad and you feel really bad and your gut is wrenching, that's when you add to it and you hold through the other times. But you're constantly adding at lower levels when you do that. Yep. Bob, as we move to wrap up, I, I don't want to call it a day before I ask you if there's anything else on your mind you'd like to point out to everybody. Uh, one, one last thing is the silver miners. Um, you know, that, that sector, uh, if you actually look at the CapEx right now, it's down 18% over a year, which is, which is actually a really, really good sign because when CapEx is down with these companies, it means that we're going to be supply constrained, right? And I think the last um, bull market for, for all commodities – starting in 2000, was a demand market, right? So there was a tremendous amount of demand from China, um, et cetera, and that caused this amazing bull market in, in, in commodities. Well, this time around, whether it's the gold sector or any other um, commodity sector, but even especially gold and silver, 
um, the capex has been reduced so much over the years that we don't even really have to have a huge uh, amount of demand. This is going to be a supply bull market, supply constrained bull market. So all you got to get is a little bit of demand here, and then people are going to look and say, oh my God, there's no supply, right? Nobody's put any money into the ground to find any new gold. So we just can't keep up with even a small increased demand. So I think in this bull market, the reason might be different than the last bull market, um, but supply-driven bull markets uh, are, even, are even bigger on the upside a lot of times than the demand-driven ones. And, you know, we've seen silver do pretty well as of late and a lot of talk here in the States of infrastructure programs and, and the like where we need those industrial metals. And gosh, Bob, I'm sure you've noticed a lot of these investment houses and research firms are coming out with positive forecasts for silver, 40 and $50. I'm, I would imagine what you just discussed about CapEx has to fit into that. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's when, you know, that's why silver tends to do better as the bull market progresses, because it has that industrial component uh, to it. But also, a big reason is silver is such a small market, such a small market, that all it takes is a few people to turn their head and say, maybe I should put one-tenth of our portfolio into silver when you have a, you know, a $500 billion firm. Right? The, the market just can't absorb that. So that's why the silver prices go up very, very, very rapidly when people discover that it may, it may be a place to be. Yep. Again, we've been talking to Bob Thompson, who is a portfolio manager and senior vice president at Raymond James in Vancouver. If you enjoy these weekly wrap-up segments, please uh, like or subscribe or even share wherever you found these segments, whatever prod- podcast platform you like. We certainly appreciate uh, all of you listening out there. Bob, thank you so much uh, for your time and your expertise. And uh, maybe we'll speak again soon. Fantastic, Greg. Great to talk to you. And from all of us, it's Brought Money News. It's BroughtMoney.com. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.